But uh, hey, man, welcome to Red River Podcast, uh, another episode. Uh, today I get to hang out with uh, Frank Antonetti, who is one of the owners, or the owner, over at Rustin Golden Huntington, and uh, he is fucking awesome, so thank you for hanging out with me. Thank you for having me, man. So excited. Very, very honored to be a part of it. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so we were talking about the shutter thing, so I um, I know that, um, do, are you familiar with Joe Bob Briggs at all? I'm not too familiar with him. No, Savini, I'm I'm a little more well versed in, so I, I didn't, but I didn't read too much into it. Okay, um, so Joe Bob actually, jo- the last thing that I did before we all shut down was I went to go see Joe Bob do a two hour lecture uh, uh, over at the Cinema Art Center in Huntington. Um, nice. And he's kind of like this like cinephile dude, man. Who, um, so he had a show on like the USA Network back forever ago. And the format is basically like he's so goddamn well versed in so much shit that it's he'll play a movie. So he'll do like a double feature on the shutter app. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he'll instead of like commercial breaks, it'll be just him talking about the movie and little things about it and the actors and what they like. Just basically miles and miles of information because this dude is amazing um and uh it's 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 a lot of fun to listen to him you know anytime he's done podcasts it's uh he's like a treasure of 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 knowledge that you just never knew that you wanted to listen to um, that's awesome so, so he did something at the cinema art center which was like a two-hour lecture on um how rednecks saved uh the cinema or something like that so it was just like this um verbal thing and it came with like pictures, so um, it was just this long fucking thing, man. And he's a funny guy, and he, you know, uh, he he brought up uh, basically the history of rednecks in cinema from like you know the beginning of time and like where they came from to like the end, you know, like the cannonball runs and like the fucking. That's so like, awesome. Yeah, it's it's a trip, man. It for 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 people that that are into movies and like you know like a guy who's super witty and funny. Uh, fantastic shit and uh but it, it's on the shutter app which i don't know if you have i haven't got you know like i i have i'm just i'm so new to this i'm like barely ever home so now i'm finding myself with all this extra time home like i just put hulu in like a month ago so i'm very behind on my streaming apps okay um i love hulu i think hulu might be the thing that i watch i i probably watch hulu more than i watch netflix and amazon mm-hmm. um i think it's just really cool for tv so I caught up on like the Goldbergs. Um, they have a lot of cool like um, um, original stuff, like the act and stuff. So wh- what are you finding on Hulu? Anything good? Um, so I I came to Hulu uh, for for Letterkenny. Um, okay. I got like kind of really intrigued by that guy's whole story. Um, did you watch that? I don't know it. So tell me. Oh, awesome! So so Letterkenny. Um, it's a it's a comedy show. Um, it's acted um and it's basically it takes place in letterkenny is a fictional small village um up in like 
rural Canada, but it's not French Canadian. It's like Irish immigrant Canadian. Okay. So similar types of humor as far as I would say the joke style like is, is like kind of halfway between Super Troopers and Seinfeld in that it's, you know, the same clique of people that like have good hearts with each other. But like, you know, like outside of their crew, uh, they're not very trusting and they kind of get themselves into a lot of scenarios. But the humor is a little bit more lowbrow. And that's where like more the Super Troopers aspect of it comes in. But the guy that creates it and his name's escaping me. Um, it follows his own life story. So, you know, he legitimately grew up as, you know, a young, uh, the, 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 like a second generation Irish Canadian immigrant, you know, like, and he had the very traditional Canadian lifestyle. He, you know, grew up playing youth boys hockey, like every other kid, his family owned like a local mill. Um, you know, they're almost like these, like, like, like wilderness, like rednecks kind of be a way to compare them. Um, you know, but he just turned out to be incredibly intelligent and funny. And so he ended up having these dreams of being an actor and he left that town to come to LA and he, he had a few, if you look it up, use of all people would definitely know a few of the things he's been in. He's had a few credits and some like lesser known stuff. Okay. Uh, but, and while he was trying to pursue this, he just started a blog called letter Kenny problems that basically, um, was like a joke blog about making jokes about living in a small rural Canadian town. It took off and it got so much notoriety that he ended up getting, uh, being able to like crowdfund uh, a few episodes of the pilot show and then it took off and now it's like seven seasons in it's like one of the bigger things hulu i think it's like got behind recently and uh it's good it's good stuff so for someone that that was new to like streaming stuff like how did you even come across this enough to basically jump the you know for for this is what makes you get hulu so how did you come across mm-hmm. it believe it or not it was i don't know if it was just you know like the gods of uh, my phone's listening to me or um, <laughs> you know, like some sort of targeted campaign. <laughs> yes. But when Letterkenny first started blowing up, it was one of those things where like, you know, when you fall into like the Facebook hole where like you start off and it's just like, you know, like your Guido cousin posting a Sopranos <laughs> clip, but then you watch that and then you keep on scrolling and then like you just get further down the hole. So those kept popping up and it was like little clips. And the first one, I it was so funny because the first skit that i saw was the skit where it's the three main characters that i'm now more familiar with and they're standing around a grill and they're basically arguing over the way to um cook a steak properly uh you know and it's all very very fast very dry dialogue back and forth and like you know it's got a good rhythm to it and stuff and for me i thought it was like a one-off skit that like i got a targeted ad because i'm always talking about food because i'm a fat fuck but like then it it, I saw more and more pop up and finally piqued enough interest and like a couple of people whose opinions I trusted were like watch it and then so that's what made me download the app uh, and now I'm starting to delve a little bit further into it um, and it's great you know like it's definitely fills a lot of the holes that that Netflix has and I've kind of fallen off with Netflix recently I really only go there now um, for like you know they're they're putting a lot of it seems to be they're, they're putting a lot of stock in like the true tr- crime docs yeah. you know like there's like a new one every couple of weeks and uh you know, I just finished like another one today and stuff, and obviously did Tiger King. But like, I, I've never been like crazy impressed with the quality of their movies. There's a ton of filler to sift through. Me, um, yeah, me neither. <laughs> like, I never, um, you know, their like their horror movies are complete shit. Um, yeah, yeah, and occasionally they'll get something cool. Now they they have like a row for award winning movies. So yesterday, you know, I never watched Taxi Driver. That's a movie that just slipped through the cracks. Nice. And uh, yesterday I watched it for the first time because it was on Netflix and uh, it was part of like their award winning row. And I was like, you know what? I'm like 44 years late on this movie. So let me just <laughs> let me put it on. Did you ever see that movie? I watched it. Uh, same thing. Like I slept on it for years. I watched it once long enough ago where, you know, it would it would I'm, I'm due for a refresher. 
Um, you know, was, but I remember it being incredibly br- brutal, um, and being slightly uncomfortable at the, uh, at the, it was that Jodie Foster, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was interesting. Cause it was like, you're watching, you know, Harvey Keitel who looks like a, you know, like he's in drag or something. Like he's just like got this long yeah. hair and he's like hideous. You know, he looks like a seventies, like, like junkie. I, I don't know. Whatever role he was going for, he definitely nailed. Cause that, that's exactly what he looked like. And yeah, he's exactly. like caressing. Yeah. No, they, they really sell you on like that, that entire vibe of like the way the city feels and, and kind of like the plight of uh, of a character like like uh, De Niro's, you know. Yeah, I love I love that part. I love I love um, you know my uncle drove a cab in the city for years, and a lot of times, you know, like we would drive around, and you know maybe he would like drive like uh, I guess somehow we would meet up, you know, and like I would drive around in the cab with him, and uh, he would take me around to like the cool spots. Um, so I remember that as at a young age and, and just like what the city looked like. And, and, you know, it, uh, obviously in 76, it was, you know, it just seemed grimier or, or maybe like Scorsese just picked that up. And it's funny because it, it does have the parallels to Joker, um, that came out like last year. And I don't know, I, I don't know how that movie did it, but the cinematography felt very real to me. Like, uh, it didn't feel like this, like, fake land that they made up. It really felt like 19, like, I don't know, 1981 New York City. Uh, in in Joker, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that to it, when people, like, it's so weird when people call that, like, a superhero movie. Like, I've, I've heard it categorized as that, and I'm like, it's just not. I it's mean, not. like, you know, like, there's, there's, there's not one, there's not one bit of superhuman strength throughout the entire film. He's wearing makeup for the last minute of it, you know what I mean? Like, or, you know, like, and he's actually Joker, you know, like in the clown and stuff. So it's like, it's, uh, but I just thought it was so phenomenal and and so gritty. And so, you know, like, and it made me so bummed for like just the current state of the rest of like superhero movies and what's going on with them and how like glossy and kind of over the top they are, you know, like, like, uh, who was that? Scorsese said that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like when, I guess he was like, promoting. when, uh, when Endgame came out, right. I think he was shitting on it. He was shitting on it. And like, I get it. You know, I, I'm not really into comic book movies. So for yeah. me to watch the Joker, it was just because, um, Todd Phillips made it. And I think Todd yeah. Phillips is great. And it just seemed like a movie that wasn't a, from that universe. And then when it, uh, yeah, it really was just Karen. Karen's like, let's go see Joker. And I was like, eh, whatever. Nice. <laughs> I'll eat popcorn. <laughs> um, but after the movie, I was like, oh, that was kind of like unique and gross and uh, really disturbing in ways. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix's like body was like contorting in weird ways mm-hmm. uh and uh you know the the scenes where like uh every you know it's so cliche to say like an unraveling but it was and the way they presented it was great like it, it was effective like everything that would have that he's going everything was wrong even his mom was fucked up you know the the girl mm-hmm. that he liked was like this figment of his imagination she wasn't really you know like which is almost like a taxi driver thing, you know, like when you really think about it. And yep. uh, it just, I don't know, it really worked for me. And the, the fact that Todd Phillips is so successful after making the Gigi Allen documentary is <laughs> one of the greatest, uh, you know, Hollywood stories ever. 
Jesus Christ. I completely just lost my train of thought because you got me you got me so you, like Gigi Allen just like always throws me off my yeah. game. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, is that like wait, like he he shot the original one, like the yeah, one back hated. in the day that ends with like the riot? Hated. Yeah. That's Todd Phillips. That was his college movie. Are you serious? That's yeah. fucking awesome. I never knew that. <laughs> and then he, and then he made I think the thing he made after was Road Trip. Ah, nice. Okay, I remember my thought. So we can we can sure. we can edit that in. The reason, the, the thing that I thought that was so interesting and so effective, and and this probably reveals a little too much about my character, but I know uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of us are are, on, are in the same boat. The the way that I knew that like if they had done a good job is by the end of the movie, you kind of know what's going to happen. You know, when he's when he's sitting there on the couch, he's like, you know, like all right, he's either going to kill himself or he's going to kill De Niro. Sure. The feeling that I had inside, it wasn't like that weird sort of rooting for the bad guy kind of feel at that point they had developed his character so like so disturbing to me it felt more like when you were like younger and you discovered like rotten.com and you oh went on God. there <laughs> and like you knew you were watching <laughs> yeah and you knew you were about to watch like some fucking you know like That's... awful video from a third world country of something terrible happening to somebody and it was real and you had that it was a different feeling it's like that pit in your stomach type of like oh i feel like shitty for humanity like and i'm i, I feel shitty about myself or what like that type of feeling i got when that was approaching and i'm like wow that t- i've never had a movie elicit that response before it's so Listen, sick very much so so like you know like funny you said rotten.com <laughs> 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 fucking disgusting but yeah uh, but back then i was like now i can't watch it like that because i feel like i'm closer to death now than i was like 25 <laughs> 25 years ago i'm like hey now i'm like well I'm, you know when i was 15 i was like that shit just seemed like forever you know you know, I'm like, I'll live, I'll live forever now at like 42. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. That could be tomorrow. Um, now it's like a fucking a Five Guys burger. Yeah, down. We don't need yeah. to watch like Favola guys getting their arms macheted off. Um, so I had that same feeling and maybe everyone had that feeling watching that scene. It felt real. It felt like I was watching um, – because you, you saw like this thing and you knew this is where it was just going to fucking elevate. And when he actually did shoot De Niro, it looked real. Yeah. It didn't look very Hollywood. It just looked like something really grotesque. And you're like, holy shit, this guy just fucking completely, like where he went, he's not coming back from. Like, that's it. Yep. You know? Just that sick slump, like that quick slump back. You know, there's no fucking, there's no, there's no bullet tracing. Trinity isn't jumping out of a window backwards in slow motion, you know? Like, it's just like, you know, and then, you know, and it goes back to like, you know, you're fucking the Bud Dwyer video, you know, yeah, like just that that's... weird type of like, I, I have that thought of that too. Like I was just sitting there and people like, and they did such a good job of with the audience reaction, you know, like just like hearing everyone just like slowly realize what the hell just happened and then freak out. Very good stuff. Unbelievable. Um, speaking of Netflix and uh, Bud Dwyer and those videos, did you watch that uh, uh, Don't Fuck With Cats documentary? I did. I did. And you know what, man? Like as somebody, like I said, that I, I was around for the Rotten.com days. Did, am I the only one that this video's like vi- like virality? I guess you call it like completely missed me. I never saw this video. I never heard of it or anything back in the day. The, like when it came out, I the say. ice pick one. Yeah, I saw it. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> this is why you host the show. <laughs> <laughs> so um, okay. First of all, I don't remember the last time something made my stomach. Like when I didn't know what I was watching, I was like, oh, don't fuck with cats. I'm like, oh, this is like a funny thing. And I put it on. And when I realized what he was doing with those two kittens, 
um, the inside of my stomach just, um, I, I got like, I had to like pace because I wanted to kind of like, I wanted to kill this person. And, um, I said to myself, I'm going to watch the rest of this because I want to make sure that this person is in jail or murdered. <laughs> um, because it, it, it disturbed me like what he did to, to the cats. So by the time it got to the second video, which was the ice pick video, I had remembered the story. Yeah, I thought I thought it was fake, and um, so I don't know. I, I never thought of it again. I was like, "Oh, this is weird," and, but it was creepy, and I was like, I, "It's supposed to be something," but like, yeah, back then it was, um, you know, the internet wasn't as as a con like I don't know. It was just you could just pull shit up from like wherever, and you're like, "Ah, eh, I don't know what this is." Um, yeah, exactly. It was just it was a lot harder to trace sources and, yeah, and, and, and kind just, of like. Yeah, like I don't know what this is, but I I saw the video and I just thought it was fake. And man, by the end, the basic instant connection, like everything about that, was the most depraved, like um, star hungry, like the most ultimate and like um, brain, like just mentally ill star fucking, like someone who just wanted to be so known and so famous that they were just operating on. So, like, man, do you want to talk? <laughs> That was a home run true doc that they did. Between that and the, the Tiger King stuff, uh, you know, Netflix excelled there. Yeah, I mean, I, that guy, that guy took, yeah, that, that very good point with the, like, the, like stardom, you know, like they, it's like uh, the, the top of the totem pole was like uh, the Bjork bomber, uh, Selena's manager, and then that guy just climbed on top of fucking both of them. I, I, you know, just mental illness is crazy. Like for, for, uh, but that, you know, the, um, what happens is, you know, anyone has this possibility now to, to go viral. And I, I think, yep. um, you know, people, some people, <laughs> I don't know, some people just can't handle social media, you know, like there's just too much information for them. And there's too much like, um, I don't know, you know, I just sign on, I post YouTube links, you know, I talk, <laughs> I yeah. talk about podcast, but some people, what the good Lord intended it to be for, you yeah, know, you know, like you just like random shit, you know, you talk to your friend that moved to Ohio, you never get a chance to see him. Um, but some people just, they, they can't take it. It's, it's like too much for them. You know, they, they, nah, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, I, you know, I think that, uh, not everyone in the world was meant to, to have a microphone, you know, that's why it was, it was easier when, when the people, you know, for the most part, the people that had microphones did something to get there, um, and were a little bit more, uh, responsible or at least deserving of it. Oh, now, uh, yeah. now we all got them and, and we're not, we're not doing too good. Before we talk about Rust and Gold, I really wanted to ask you how far along, cause I know you started watching The Wire for the first time. So how far along are you? I finished. Um, I actually just finished a couple of days ago. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the first things I got to say is uh, I, I believe we're past the, uh, the the save point for spoilers here. Sure, being sure, that sure. I yeah, started yeah. Watching, I'm, I'm now watching shows. When did that? That was the late 90s, right? That was a long time ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, probably one of my uh, favorite series finale episodes. Okay. Um, I thought that they did um, such a good job of. You know, it, it was it, it, they, they weren't rewriting the book. You know, it certainly wasn't the, you know, the Sopranos dead stop or, you know, like something controversial like that. They, they definitely kept it safe. But um, I really thought that it was a great job of kind of recapping everywhere that they had been over the last, you know, like five seasons, um, you know, keeping the focus on McNulty, um, you know, like. Uh, but overall, the show is just was just really phenomenal. Um, I, I think that 
it was it was cool because now in the HBO app they um, had the producers and the show writers kind of do a quick little blur before each season started. Um, so that was a nice kind of break, especially for someone like me that wasn't paying attention to it when it was relevant and new to kind of get a little bit of a little bit more background on what the inspiration for each season was and stuff, you know? And so I think it was you that had warned me that, you know, like season two is a little tough, but then they get back to business in season three. Well, so that's, that was the consensus. Me. I liked it. I liked the angle that they took. I liked Sabatka. I liked Zig, like all, like I like that because, um, you know, they did the, the drug trade in the first one. This is like mm-hmm. kind of more of like, you know, like, oh, okay, uh, the, you know, it was like the docks in Maryland and all that. So it was like a nice little angle that, that they were trying to do because the writing for that show, what I remember, was so intricate. Like, mm-hmm. It was just like the, from the, the politicians to the detectives to the criminals um, to the people in the neighborhood. And I, I feel like, man, they... Uh, you know, it just felt so authentic to me, uh, even though I didn't live there. But it, it felt like such a representation of of this vast story that they were fucking telling. So it made sense that they would venture off to someplace else instead of, you know, sticking in the corner. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think that that, you know, by the end of the series, I felt that they had accomplished what they had sort out to. And, and that was telling the story of a city from a bunch of different angles and they really hit, I mean, like when you think about what makes a city run or what's integral to it or what's worth exploring, if you want to talk about, you know, we're dissecting an entire city that's failing, you know, and they hit on every single one, you know, they started first with, you know, police and crime. Then they went on to the plight of the working man. Then they went on to, you know, media, the schools. And at the end of the day, like I, on that last episode when he's sitting there and he's just like looking out over the Boston you know, like the, 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 I'm sorry, the uh, Baltimore skyline. And you, you just sit there and you're like, wow, man, like I fucking, I, I, and I went to Baltimore once and I played a show at a, one of the scariest clubs I've ever played in my life. I literally <laughs> walked across, I walked across the street to get a pack of smokes out of the, the still existent cigarette machine. And I literally walked into a strip club and watched uh, a stripper like walk off the stage with like her measly, like $10 and go fucking literally buy crack from the, the guy that's sitting in the corner, just doing it in like full sight of everybody. And I'm like, wow, we're in fucking Baltimore, huh? Wow. Um, so, so, but, but, and like, I was, while I was very happy to leave and go on to the next part of that, the next, the next date on that tour, I was so intrigued uh, by that, you know, like that was the one thing that, so cities like that, when we would hit like Detroit and like, just see like, just complete, just fucking ruined, um, you know, that, that's what drew me to the wire first off. And they really did a good job of kind of showing how deep that runs like not only in the streets and you know and they the the cool thing about that show too is by the end of it you don't really think about like the crack dealers as the problem you know omar is essentially the show's hero if there like is one you know like and uh and it's it's more just about like it realizes you know like they 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 start from the ground and they work up and by the end of it you're like man these fucking people never had a chance to begin with because all these fucking all these suits are the ones that are all fucked up yeah and it's just like the decimation um you know, with anything like you, you take crack and you circulate it into anything. It's, it's like, um, you know, it's like a lab test, you know, like you, you know, for someone who's, who was hooked on drugs, you know, like I've been sober for 22 years, but I, 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 I remember what it's like. And I, I remember what people would go through and, uh, you know, now you see enough of these documentaries where, you know, these neighborhoods would get, would get flooded with this stuff. And uh, I don't care what color you are. 
um, ask anyone who was hooked on, you know, crack or, or meth what they would do or how they would feel. Uh, and everyone, you know, is brought to their knees and they, they do fucked up shit, you know? So it's, it's like this, um, this thing, man, that's just, you know, pretty fucked up. And, and I thought the wire did a great job. And then they introduced, yeah, dude. I like Barksdale, you know, you think that he's like this, like kind of like, you know, I, I was a stringer bell guy, but you know, I was sorry to see him go. Uh, and when, yeah. I, when I was like, wait, I'm like that black dude's English. Cause I heard him talk. I was like, holy <laughs> yeah. shit. Um, but man, I fucking hated fucking Marlo because it by 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 four and five, I I wanted like I was on Team Barksdale. I was like, fuck Marlo. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know there was just something. Well, my thing with Marlo is that they never like you never if someone's gonna be that like threatening where he's got like uh, who's his boy Christopher was his was his was his was his main guy right. The one that like goes and drags all the bodies into the like yeah. his, 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 his main hitman. Yeah, you know you got Christopher, who's this terrifying guy that's literally fucking like boarding up, and he's just you know listens intently to to, to Marlo. You know, so um, I kept waiting for the reveal. Like, why are we supposed to fear Marlo? He's just another crack dealer. Like, you know, let us see him. You know, like let us let us hear a story about how he fucking killed twenty people in one day, or like Kaiser you know, Soze. like there was just never an angle. <laughs> and on top of that, he wasn't like he's not a physically intimidating yeah. looking character you know so then you have like this goddamn adonis of stringer bell and then like even like even uh even avon was a good looking dude what his what's his name he was the guy from um oh man wasn't he in the football movie i don't remember i know he's been in a, in a bunch of stuff man but i mean i thought he was gonna remember the titans but i could be wrong um anyway wire was sick such a good show now i'm out of shows again <laughs> well, you could always <laughs> right rewatch. You could always rewatch The Sopranos. <laughs> That's true. Um, yo, so uh, how long? You know, I I know that you're the owner of Rust and Gold, man. Uh, just let me know how long that that's been open, and and how did the how did the the history of of the place start? Um, so it's cool. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that I I dig so much about um your podcast is that you know, like you have not only um such an amazing you know like in-depth and working knowledge of of all sorts of media you know but your background in independent music and kind of coming from the same like punk hardcore scene that that we do um you know it was it was super awesome because we don't you know a lot of times if i get you know interviewed by like edible or, or a food publication sure. that's great but and i always try to veer the conversation towards music and i just don't <laughs> care at all <laughs> yeah, yeah. um you know so uh, and and it's funny because without without that scene i i i doubt um if if any of us that had gotten involved in our own little corner there um would really have ended up doing it um long story short is you know back in the day myself and um sal uh who's the owner of Vauxhall and we and having a musical and a bunch of other places and stuff you know we both played in bands uh you know from long island and we were both involved in that you know hardcore post-hardcore scene that was going on in the early 2000s we're all trying to get our we're all trying to get our email bucks <laughs> and um <laughs> and you know we all accomplished some very moderate level of success you know sal way more than than us um and basically you know at some point we both kind of realized hey listen like we're not making careers out of this and we're not getting any younger at the same time so after years of touring on an independent level you know we didn't really have a whole lot of like skills to uh bring back to to general society but the one thing that we did know was clubs and bars because we pretty much spent every single night. I mean, like for 
any of the listeners out there that have never had the joys and wonder of trying to be a DIY band on tour, you know, it's, it's a lot less of the dirt and uh, a lot more just actual dirt. Um, and, and, you know, most of my nights were just, you know, like sitting there, like talking to some bartender that doesn't even give a shit about me and a half empty venue for hours, you know? Um, and it, that's just the past time. So the one thing that we came back with was kind of this working knowledge of how, you know, different bars work in different parts of the country and nightclubs and venues. And then as we got a little bit more popular, we got to see things operating on a more professional level and stuff and working with crews and getting to talk to better bartenders and better managers and just bullshitting with them and stuff. So when we all got back, um, you know, we all kind of didn't know what to do. I, I had taken just a part-time job at retail because it was something that I had done like in between tours. And I was like, I guess I'll just do this, you know? Um, and then Sal ended up taking over, um, you know, part of with his with his partner uh, taking over part of what was at that point called Broadway Bar. But as I'm sure you know, has a long storied history in Long Island uh, independent music. It was the Village Pub South. It was the wrong way in. I don't even know what it was before that. Um, uh, lots of things. Yeah. So so basically, you know, I'm working the shit retail job and Sal calls me up one day and he's like, quit your job. Come and manage this music venue with me. And I'm like, oh, the old VP South. Um, and he basically explained that, you know, he had worked out a deal with the current owner who was looking to basically find a way to connect to the local music scene. He had failed to do that to that point. Um, so Sal was like, okay, well, you know, like I, I just come back from being a, one of the biggest Long Island bands. So I have all these connections. And so we started, you know, doing it. And I, I quit and I went and I took the job there. And uh, him and his old partner ran it, you know, were the owners. I was a general manager. And for about two years, you know, it was great. We built the place back up. We had some super legendary shows there. Um, you know, we ran some fun parties on the weekend. Um, and after a while, we had kind of a falling out with the original owner. So we all kind of branched off and started going into different things. Sal went and opened up the Leaky Lifeboat. Um, and I started working in uh, bars and restaurants again. And, you know, I just kind of like worked my way up. I ended up moving from the south shore of the island up to Huntington Village. Um, and that is... So while this is happening, I'm also developing a good friendship with Dan Valentino, Sal's partner at Vauxhall, another like that, you know, played in a bunch of old Long Island hardcore bands. And he, him and Sal had gotten connected through Leaky Lifeboat, and they had decided to open up a place in uh, Huntington. At the time, they asked me if I wanted to get involved. Um, I was living there, me and Dan were roommates, and uh, I had kind of a good thing going with a restaurant group that I was with. Um, so I said no at the time and then they opened up box hall and immediately started doing good because they did something that not a lot of people have done before, which is applying the aesthetic and the vibe and the, um, even like the attitude of, you know, like independent artists and independent musicians to yeah. Yeah, man, a sure. restaurant and a, and a bar in, in, uh, a, you know, like one that hadn't really seen that before. Very um, much so. the aesthetic for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, like even just a simple thing is like, you know, I, I, I can't think of I, before that it was to go into a restaurant and hear like, you know, the Smiths was unheard of. You know, you're mostly listening to like, you know, either Celine Dion or, you know, like the, the Barry Manilow best stuff. And that, um, that's big, man. So you know, that like cool. when, you, when you walk in, like for musicians, like you walk in and you hear something, you know, like, I don't know, like Texas is the re, you know, something completely yeah. left field. You're like, oh, I this is this is this is my place. I'll be here. Mm -hmm. So 100%, you know, and what's cool about that is I think that you can achieve that kind of vibe um, without being exclusive to people either. And that's a good thing that, you know, having someone like yourself, you know, like I would trust you completely. If I told you, you know, like, Hey, listen, I want to create a restaurant. 
even if you've never worked in a restaurant before, like you having your musical knowledge, I know that you would create a playlist that would be both, you know, like fit the vibe of the place and set the mood, but also appeal to the people that would get it. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a fun thing to play around with. For sure. So, you know, I'm working in my group. I'm, I'm still working at a restaurant in Huntington. Sal and Dan are doing their thing. And that's when I met my partners at Rust. I have two other partners at Rust. Okay. And we met through Sal. Um, and, you know, the spot where Rust and Gold currently was, uh, was up for sale. Um, it had been just kind of a more traditional sports bars, a place called Rookies. Um, and back in the day, like when it first opened, it was huge. It was, it was a huge, it was, it was a massive success, but it had changed hands a bunch of times and the current owners, um, kind of fell out of love with the restaurant industry. So they were pretty motivated to leave. So after, you know, basically myself and my partners, Jay and Lou, they, um, started coming to swallow and we just kind of started putting our heads together, you know, like they would come, I would make them drinks and we would just sit there and kind of bullshit and talk about, our ideas as far as, you know, what a restaurant should be and what we kind of want to bring to it and stuff. And, uh, and then, you know, we, we ended up agreeing, uh, after a couple of months of, I guess, uh, professionally flirting with each other <laughs> that we should give it a shot. Um, you know, so we went and got everything together and, and opened up rust in September of 2016. Uh, and, uh, and so far, uh, up until, <laughs> up until about a month and a half ago, things yeah. were going great. Yeah. I mean, gorgeous place, great menu. Um, the DJ is there, you know, the times that I've been there, um, who is that Fox beat, right? Yeah. Fox beats is great. Um, you know, we have Savage who's, um, who's uh, our, our buddy, Mike Lynch, who's, who's just the way that you are with, with your style of music and with the movies and, and, uh, everything that you cover on this podcast, he's probably the only white guy I know that could, <laughs> I would put up against anyone for his knowledge of old school hip hop um and old school house he was a big like tunnel and like like exit guy back in the day so but he's like everyone like the one thing like you said which i appreciate you you recognizing is just there's so much of an appreciation for music and that runs through like everything my partner lou is like a phenomenal producer he's a big hip-hop head himself he does really great beats he's been featured on a few like artist tracks I, you know, I, I wouldn't even begin to have that conversation, but you and him would definitely know a lot of the same guys. I know, he, I know you put up RA a lot and he knows he fucks with him and a few other like of the yeah. more local guys and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Just you know, actually. and even, even, even Jay, my other partner, you know, like when we sit there and we have to go and we're spending a day just like, you know, doing maintenance work, you know, music is, is always the conversation. It's always kind of the blood that runs through it, you know, and it's important. It's, it's like such a unifier, you know, like, uh, the arts and stuff like that. I mean, listen. Uh, the fact that you are able to parlay it into something, um, you know, like a restaurant business, which is a legitimate business, which most people don't really even have the opportunity to do or or they don't roll the dice on themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And you did that. But the unification of certain things, I, I forgot what the quote was. You know, if, if you like the same band, then you're not a stranger or some shit like that. Um, mm-hmm. So w- when someone likes a random movie or a random like uh, album that no one else knows, you know, it's like this constant or like a uh, just connection or, you know, uh, and that, that's the beauty of it. And uh, you get to display all of that shit fucking at rust and gold. And, and was that the, wasn't there, man, that sign that I love that, that was it really? Oh, we have a, a yeah, talking head heads. sign. This must be the place. Yeah. Cause that's like <laughs> the best song. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy that 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 sign has survived, and and we've um we we literally have had the cops called on people that have like been around that sign and tried to fuck with it before. That's that's way too important, and that's uh we we're lucky, man. That was that was a one of a kind piece. This guy 
this awesome dude named Marcus Poston. Um, he just like is like this crazy dude that just like lives in a big apartment in Brooklyn and just makes these things with his hands. Um, so so he, he pulled that together for us. Talking Heads are just great. I mean, that song just. Now you can't like you can't help but just put a smile on your face the second the song starts. Absolutely, and and it's the double meaning too. You know the the song, mm. the band, but also you know talking about the bar. You know this, of course, place, yeah. So giving people that home, baby. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure everything will uh, eventually work itself out once we start uh <laughs> stop wearing masks and uh go, <laughs> yeah. go eat. But uh, all right. So I wanted to talk to you. Uh, I, I think you know a lot of times we touch base on Messenger uh for fun top fives. Um, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that we brought up was opening scenes. So, um, you know, there's nothing better than when you're watching a movie and within the first like 10, 15 minutes of a movie, uh, or even less, uh, you feel like, okay, there's no way that this movie is going to suck. So I said, Hey, why don't we pick five of our favorite movie openings? And there was a whole bunch of them and I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there's some that I forgot, but, uh, I figure, fuck it, let's do it. So what would be your number five? My number five. Okay. Um, my top three are kind of in any order, but sure. I'm going to start off uh, with the opening scene of the original uh, Blade Runner. Okay. Um, you know, I think that they make you – and the reason that it's number five is because they make you sit through, you know, the complete opening credits on just black screen before they get to the first shot, which is like, all right, you know, I don't know if that would last anymore in like current day and age. People's attention spans are a little short. But at the same time, I like it because it just gets all of like the business out of the way and gets you right into, you know, like setting the mood. And when you see that opening sequence, I'm so glad that there's not any credits over it. Um, You know, I like it because it's kind of an interesting, you know, like at this point, you're still we're still so uncertain. And like the 80s came with this like really dark dystopian view of the future. Um, And I think that they have like kind of a cool take on it their twist on you know what architecture would look like and just the general feel so true um and then you have you know you have vangelis coming in with this like super beautiful moody synth track um you know there's a couple of quick shots of that eyeball that you don't know what it means yet and then you come to learn what it means um just thought it was a very moody very kind of like dark slow introduction and it kind of like forces you to be like hey listen this this isn't star wars harrison ford this is a very atmospheric moody like slow down and just enjoy everything you know yeah very very true about like 80s bring in that dystopian view you know especially now when you when you you know in 2020 when you go back to watch these movies that are like <laughs> before you know it, it, it's like okay this is what it's gonna be in like uh, you know 2010 and now we're like 10 years past that you know so it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting like oh shit we're you know 10 years past that but great pick man um thank you so my number five man really tough to narrow it down um, but I, I'm going to go with a new movie. So, uh, mine would be baby driver. Um, nice. Edgar Wright's a genius. He, this motherfucker, I don't know. His movies play like fucking music videos. Um, so in the very beginning, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a heist movie, which I love. And, uh, you know, the four people that are robbing this bank go in this dude, baby, who's obviously baby driver sitting in the car and he's listening to music. It's uh, the John Spencer blues explosion and right. Th- he's like singing along to it while they're robbing this bank. And it's, it's a very tense scene. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the movie? I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just that whole beginning sequence. Um, and then when, uh, you know, they get in the car and he starts driving away, it's, you know, you're, 
I hate watching so much CGI because that, that's all there is now. Um, this is like so real, like the, the spin outs, um, these cars are like basically like performing ballet. I, you know, everything looks so fucking well done. Um, then they get away and then the next opening, you know, it, the continuing like with, with the title, um, you mm. know, he's like dancing in the streets and the Harlem shuffle plays. It's this constant songs. And uh, the visual gags are just so fucking great, man. Like, I, I just, I remember seeing it in the movie theater and thinking, uh, okay, uh, five, five, seven minutes in, and it's already been, like, two of the best songs. And it's, I just knew. I'm like, there's no way that any part of this movie was going to suck. And it turned out to be my favorite movie of 2017. You know, I think that you could strip away, you know, even you could strip away all of, you know, the good music in that. And so many of those kind of intentional Easter eggs and kind of those visual effects that kind of kept the beat of the music going. And if that was just more of a straight action film, I think it still would have been a very solid film. So now you throw that element on top of it, just how this has this, like music is literally the heart of the movie throughout the entirety of it. Uh, And and, and it's such a cool, unique experience. I love that movie. I only watched that. I got to watch that again. I only watched that once. Cool. Um, So number four, all right, number four. Hold on, I'm gonna go on my, I'm to my list. Now I'm going to the second guess my order. Yeah. Um. So only because I can't. Nope, I'm switching. I'm switching my number four because this is one I just like a little bit more. Sure. So my number four is gonna be Drive. Um, and I thought I love Nic- uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, I don't know if you've watched any of his stuff like before that. Like if you watched like Bronson with Tom Hardy in it and yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think he's a killer, killer actor. I mean, killer director. Um, and, you know, Gosling, I mean, you know, if, if there's that one guy. Um, and just that whole uh, opening <laughs> sequence, I think is so, <laughs> he's the whole pass. Um, I think, uh, you know, that whole, because if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that was kind of a breakout role for him as kind of a very different, serious, you know, like dark role. Um, and, you know, so. like, especially, I think, I think up to that point, everyone was, I'm trying to think if there was ever any big movies between Notebook and that, or was that kind of the first time I think that we saw him in something? Yeah, I think that's the first time. Like, I think it's, it's right. Uh, you know, it, you saw him in like a different light, you know, like that Musketeer or whatever the fucking Mickey Mouse shit fucking went away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and he's like kicking ass in this thing and uh, great, great movie, man. And it just. Yeah, you know, I mean, you have that, you have, you know, the chromatics with, with Tick of the Clock. And again, just tense. I, you know, when I was going through my list, a lot of, you know, like an obvious choice, that one's that appears on almost every list is the dark Knight, And, you know, that's a beautiful opening sequence to me, this accomplished the same thing. Um, and, but just had a couple, you know, like music, it was a little bit more, a little bit more indie, a little bit more cool, yeah, you know, I, like, but it was that same type of like, continuous like minimal dialogue any dialogue that's there is there to just kind of like set up it's just gosling giving his instructions how he operates and then just tense music and then you know like leading right into that cutscene, and then kavinsky starts and the title hits and it's just it's just awesome and funny enough baby driver and drive are kind of like the same plot you know they're just it's yeah drive. exactly um and also uh drive had the band college and that reoccurring song real human being Mm-hmm. Um, in that movie, and that song's fucking really good. 
definitely good. Um, they um, I didn't I didn't catch it, but um, that's the yeah. So that's that's college, and that's a collab with another band called Electric Youth. Um, and they did. Uh, I'm so fucking pissed I missed this too. They did a tour supporting it, where like literally they even played other tracks off the soundtrack that wasn't theirs. And some of their own stuff as well. And it was a whole kind of, you know, like I know you and I have had some conversations before about like that retro new wave, you know, yeah. kind of genre. Um, but they had, they had a whole like, they, they really tried to milk that one track for everything is worse because I haven't heard much about them since no, then. No, you're but... right. Yeah, that was it. But I mean, that was a, yeah. a fucking killer track. That is uh, a killer track. So my number four, I went old school. Um, when I was a kid, I remember going to see Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones, like in the movie theater. Nice. Uh, and the beginning... You know, so like <laughs> the beginning is just so wild, you know, like Indy uh, meets up with these like Asian dudes and uh, somewhere along the way he gets poisoned and they fucking have the antidote. But then Indy has like this stone and just this melee breaks out. And uh, I, I do you remember the, the, the intro at all? God, I haven't. You threw me so off because everyone always chooses Raiders for like the opening scene. Nah, this one was my shit. So, yeah. Like, I, so, so, you know, Willie, the, the blonde girl and him are they're, they're mm-hmm. like, go like everyone's fighting. He's looking for the antidote to, to cure himself from the poison. She's looking for the stone. They end up flying out the window and then they land in a car and then fucking short round turns around, you know, pre Goonies. Uh, and then they fucking drive off to this plane and they think they get away, but the guy that they were running away from owns the plane. So you know this and then they take off. And what he does is he has the two pilots fly, like jump with parachutes out and then they wake up and they realize that they're two fucking pilots that are flying the plane <laughs> fucking left the plane and the plane's about to crash so the only thing that, right. the only thing that they have to jump with is an inflatable raft so they yeah it's just like <laughs> as a kid um it's like everything that is so unbelievable on the planet but i i don't know it just i it was one of those movie openings that i just never forgot and, and of course raiders is, is a good one but mm-hmm. and and uh that one stuck with you it did because Temple of Doom I saw in the theaters. I was too young for Raiders, and uh, what I realized is, you know, I guess Temple of Doom in retrospect was for kids like me, and Raiders were for the adults because they were just like, oh fuck, you know, it got too goofy for Temple. Um, little did I know, but yeah, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Um, my uh my my brother is i've my next oldest brother is six years older than me um so it was his job to to just torture me and and exert his authority which makes sense because he's a cop now um <laughs> Yo, and uh but, but he used to wake me up from naps like if i like fell asleep on the couch and i'm like a little kid too he would always put his hand over my chest and just Kalima, start screaming Kalima, and, oh my god that would yeah. f me up for the rest of the day i would just be like so one of the first playing dead songs that I wrote, um, I, that was one of the lyrics, Kali Ma Shakti Le. I, th- I threw that in the song. <laughs> I threw that, yeah, I threw that in the song. I was like, Kali Ma Shakti Le is what she said as she ripped my heart away <laughs> or something. That's like, amazing. It, it was like something stupid like that. And, uh, but that, that has to, that has to be the absolute best use of Kali Ma in any sort of modern song. I, I have the song somewhere. I'll dig it up. <laughs> but, uh, what are we up to? You're number three. We are up to number three. Cool. Um, so for these, um, for this, I'm going to one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Oh wow! Um, yeah. You know, I just think that 
I, I could, and, and it's funny because I was sitting, I don't know, did you like, did you go back and watch like clips of just the openings while you were making your list? I did. I went through like everything just to make, because we, we, you know, we talked about it for like two weeks and I was like, mm-hmm. I need to, I need to like marinate on certain things and just kind of like pick, I needed to make like a list of 10 and pick my five out of those 10. Yeah. So I, I, when I'm watching them, like, of course, all of them made me want to like, just continue watching all the way through. But <laughs> yeah. that one I did, you know, like, because it's just like, you know, there's other ones like, you know, when you're watching drive, it's like, okay, I know what's going to happen. I know what's coming for the rest of the film and stuff like that. So you, you almost have to be in the mood for, you know, drive gets dark drive has, you know, some downturns to it and stuff like that, you know, like, but this it's like, well, shit, man, like after I get through the opening credits, I have fucking Salma Hayek. I have the fuck, I, I have Cheech Marin screaming pussy. Like I have everything I need out of a movie. Um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, like more vampires than you can shake a, uh, shake a, a shotgun crucifix at, yeah. but what's so cool about the opening is, you know, and, and it's also tough because this is the, I don't, I didn't, I don't have any Tarantino fl- films on here. So this is my honorable mention for Tarantino because I just couldn't decide like the glorious bastards is obviously like a phenomenal opening, Absolutely. but you know, like, but then it's like, but how do you choose that of a reservoir dogs? And then like, you could even throw in, you know, Pulp, Pulp Fiction's opening is pretty entertaining, you know, like, so I was like, eh, I, I'll go forever with, with Tarantino, you know? And, and so I was like, let's do something with Tarantino in it. And you know, that, that's probably the only intro that I think could just be like a freestanding short movie, you know, like, and, and, and would have been completely suitable because it actually doesn't really have to do much with the rest of the movie, you no, know, like not at if all. you, if you were to show someone that opening, and have them write the rest of the movie, chances are they're not going to write from dusk till dawn, no. you know, like they're going to write, you know, like, you know, something else. They're going to write like a, like a, you know, some sort of um, Bonnie and Clyde style, you know, kind of highway shoot em up. Yeah, man. It's uh, that was definitely something, you know, and uh, Selma Hayek at her peak sticking her foot in uh, Tarantino's mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I said uh, I was watching it the other day and I said it's definitely the, the best foot and mouth scene that doesn't involve penetration (laughs) (laughs) so it's uh, true all right so my number three uh i'm taking it to 2007 uh this is a movie that really fucking shocked the shit out of me because i thought it was amazing zombieland um oh yeah man that fucking beginning it it was one of those situations once again i'm in a movie theater and this opening kicks off you know eisenberg's talking about um Jesse Eisenberg is talking about like just kind of like the 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 state of the world now and how different it is, and then he's talking about like the rules that he lives by in the zombie apocalypse, and one of them is cardio. And when he said cardio, I'm like that makes sense. He's like, all the fat people died first because they couldn't run away because <laughs> these are fast zombies. Uh, the double tap rule, which is you know just to make sure that the the, the zombie is dead. Um, was the other one be beware of bathrooms obviously because uh, there's a scene in the beginning where like somebody's taking a shit and the zombie crawls up underneath the toilet <laughs> I, and uh, the last one so this is where the style comes in and a lot of these movies um sometimes it's style over substance this had both so um the fourth rule that he had in the beginning was fasten your seatbelt. And, uh, you know, this, this girl gets away from zombies only to basically get into a car crash. And then she flies out of the car because she didn't have the seatbelt. And she scrapes her fucking face all under the ground, uh, on the pavement. And then for whom the bells tolls kick in. And I'm just like, this is fucking going to be awesome. Like, there's no way in hell this movie's going to suck. And it didn't. I thought it was great. 
Yeah, and I felt that that movie came along at such a cool time when we were getting close, or you can make the argument that we already were getting oversaturated with zombie films. Absolutely. That were just, you know, reinventing serious takes on them. Yep. And we'd already gotten so many quality ones, you know, even in the second wave of, you know, like what I guess we started with like Dawn of the Dead remake, and, you know, like kept pushing forward that, you know, it was, it was great to see, you know, a comedic aspect to it. That still was super, super fun to watch. If anything, that, you know, hit more to the nail of, uh, hit the nail more in the head of what a classic, you know, like entertaining, fun zombie movie should be than a lot more, a lot more of the uh, serious attempts that have come out prior. And 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 very gory. Um, you know, Woody Woody Harrelson was great in it. Just really cool characters. And uh, you know, I don't know. It was one of those uh, zombie comedies that worked. Uh, between that sure. and there's another one called uh, uh, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, which is by far a better movie. Um, unbelievable! One of the best zombie movies, one of the best horror comedies I've seen in the last twenty years. So good, really? Yeah, man, it's fucking good. Watch it. It slipped under the radar. Not a lot of people saw it, and it's. I, I know. I gotta go check it out. That sounds awesome. Phenomenal. So, uh, what are we up to? Your number two. We're up to number two. Cool. Uh, number two is probably my most like uh, I, I, my most unoriginal. Uh, but I just uh, if I don't say it. Um, then I think immediately my father gets an alert and he calls me and he beats the shit out of me, but I'm going to go with the Godfather. Um, and you know, I, but at the same time, it's like, I stand by that. I I had a little bit of a struggle between one and two because two has really a sick, um, an intro, a really great intro too, as far as, you know, young Michael Corleone coming to the country and stuff like that. But I felt that the first ones did such a good job of, um, setting up exactly what the plight of you know like the italian immigrant was and you know you sit there and within a couple of minutes you're already rooting for you know uh, the murderous head of a organized crime family you know like because between you know how they set it up um as far as you know the favor that he's being asked and the story that you hear and how unfair the police are being to you know this immigrant's family and how they've done nothing to help him and stuff and then on top of that you just have fucking brando who you know still had that he still had that sparkle in his eye he's not you know he's not dr moreau yet <laughs> um you know he's still got still got a little bit of the jawline yeah. <laughs> he's, no man and he's, he's just a- endlessly cool you know crush um him. and yeah <laughs> i was gonna say you i mean you know my my number two is 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 also you know something that I had to put on. But yeah, like that's a great one. Godfather, you you know, you can't go wrong with that. And you, you know, anything to make your dad happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um oh yeah, so my number two would be pulp fiction. Um oh yeah. So, you know, sitting in a movie theater, nineteen ninety four, um, remembering Reservoir Dogs and how great that intro was, and you see Amanda Plummer and Tim Roth, you know, they're having this conversation. And, uh, you know, you're like, okay, cool. And then they, the conversation turns to like, uh, Hey, you know, like I'm tired of robbing this place and that place. And then you you realize that Tim is basically telling her that the best place to rob is a place that they're at, which is like a restaurant. And he starts explaining Mm -hmm. to her why. So you're like, okay, you're like, something's going to happen. And then it just keeps going and going. And, uh, I don't know. It's so nonchalant. It's so ter- it's it, it's something that just turned out to be like a Tarantino trademark, but it was it was new back then. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, he gives her a kiss and says, "I love you, honey bunny." And then the, you're like, "Are these motherfuckers told?" Like you see them, they're in love, and you're kind of like interested. And then they fucking turn into that fucking monster, and she's like, "All right, motherfucker!" Like she just does her thing, and then Dick Dale comes in. 
uh, <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm in. I'm fucking in right now. Pulp Fiction, let's do it. I yeah, dude. I mean, so so I was a little bit later to the table with Tarantino, so I didn't. I skipped on Reservoir Dogs. I didn't. I, so that's what introduced me to Quentin Tarantino was Pulp okay. Fiction, and so that scene. And I'll specifically, I'll always remember um, not only that scene and just how sharp it hits you when that title track comes in, oh, but so um, sa- the soundtrack as well. Um, you know, I just I remember specifically that same brother that used to call him army. You know, he's he's older now and he and he had a girlfriend and he had, you know, like this like super cool girlfriend that was into all good films and shit like that. And she she loved me, so she would always like suggest stuff for me and she gave me a copy of that soundtrack. And then like so I just remember like my brother's like hotter, cooler, older girlfriend um dancing around to Girl You'll Be a Woman Soon. And I'm yes. like, Wow, I'm like I barely know what my penis does yet, but it's yeah. doing something. <laughs> it's doing something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that that son of a preacher, man. You know, there was a lot of things that that um, even, in, you know, when I first got that soundtrack, uh, it was such a hodgepodge of of, of uh, songs that I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have listened to uh, flowers on the wall, like just a really cool uh, yeah, jungle boogie, like yeah. really, really random soundtrack. But man, he just had an ear for for music to go with the scene and you know the rest is just history so cool um we're closing in on this hour we're almost done here Let, let's do number one all right number one now i'm, I'm this is very controversial yeah. I, I know this is i don't know if this is allowed but i'm going uh back to back coppola sure um with with my number one uh and by far one of my favorite movies of all time and what i what i think is hands down one of the best opening scenes of any movie is ram stoker's dracula okay um you know, like, first off, Gary Oldman is just the ultimate psychopath. Um, and that opening, first of all, the the music, I, I mean, you know, as somebody that is, is a fan of horror and, 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 and I, that's that book, it, I mean, the actual book itself is, I've read that book so many times as a kid. Um, seeing it in that way and seeing it in that light, are you still with me? I'm here. Oh, sorry. Nah. I'm just, I babble so goddamn much. No, no, no. You know, seeing your episode. <laughs> seeing, Seeing it in that light, um, I thought there were so many cool visual effects to it. Um, also, growing up in a very, very strict Roman Catholic household, you know, I immediately was drawn to anything of the occult nature and anything of, you know, like I just, I was sitting, I grew up, you know, like literally thinking that, you know, the church is infallible. And then all of a sudden, I was very lucky to live down the block from Flip Disc Records, which is this legendary metal shop, um, like no longer exists. Um, and so I literally used to, which is, it sounds, makes me sound way cooler than I am, but like used to like sneak out of church on a Sunday and go like run to like the listening station at like slip disc and put on, you know, like the most vile death metal that I could just to get the opposite vibe of what I was doing. So I, I have that weird, I'm an adult, but I'm still doing something wrong by like rooting for Dracula as you watch him immediately like just descend, you know, and then like the, just the whole opening crescendos, you know, like to literally him just being in this chapel that's you know i mean it's so fucked up i mean he's there's blood gushing out of crosses and angel statues are crying anthony hopkins's voice over the whole thing is you know he's got one of those voices that just cuts right through you and then it crescendos to you know that that choir that just runs through your veins as the fire goes up and you see the title and it's just like holy fucking shit that's i don't know i were in no i love that that's so great i mean especially like you said you know i went to catholic school too to to the age of 10 so I, I I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my gr- like my aunt used to like shame me if I didn't want to go to church, and I would just be like, "Oh my god, you got to be kidding me!" 
<laughs> and then by like exactly yeah by like so, 13 you know, or 14 there and... yeah i i was just i, I was t- totally drawn the same thing especially growing up listening to metal uh and and around that time we were we were definitely in that satanic panic era where mm-hmm. um you know also the, just the connection you know of 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 horror movies and metal um and uh you know just that imagery but so my number one definitely is a movie most people have not seen uh it's called That's... the way of the gun uh have you ever heard of that movie Oh, that's a who is that? Is that God? That's a is that Depp? No, it's Ryan Philippi and uh, Benicio, Ryan Philippi, Benicio yeah, yeah, del Toro. Yeah. Yo, in the beginning of this movie, I'm, I'm thinking of my wrong like old hard drops. Yo, the beginning of this movie is amazing. So, like Benicio and and Philippi or Philippi actually are sitting on this car talking, and I guess they happen to be sitting on this dude's car, and his girlfriend is Sarah Silverman. And she's like, "Yo, what the fuck are you doing on this guy?" Like they're just yelling. I guess they're online to go to a concert. And she keeps yelling at him, be like, yo, get the fuck off my boyfriend's car or he's going to come over and fuck you in the asshole. And then <laughs> he just turns. Oh, my God. I have seen this yeah, movie. He, 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 he goes like he's like, yo, shut that cunt's mouth up before I walk over there and fuck start her head. Fuck start her head. That's the line. Oh, <laughs> and he uh, like, you know, they walk over there and, you know, she's like yelling all these fucking obscenities that would probably get me. Uh, get my podcast canceled if I repeat them. <laughs> um, but so it's just hilarious. And like he just, uh, you know, like they walk over and the first thing he does, is he just breaks Sarah's nose. <laughs> and <then> fucking <laughs> Benicio grabs this girl and kisses her and she spits on him. So she's wearing open toe shoes and he like stomps on her feet. And then like the crowd beats the shit out of those two dudes. It was just... <laughs> One of the most bizarre openings. I I just couldn't even like. It's so hilarious that, that like to this day, anytime I watch that opening, and it's a great movie. Like James Caan, um, just really really good underrated movie. The Way of the Gun. That's my number one. Excellent, man. Excellent, and a very good reason to have it too. That is, man, because that just takes you right out of any expectation that you think is going to happen, and just brings you right into like, all right, this is this is going to be kind of weird and fucked up. But I'm into. I'm, I'm going to send you the clip. Just so you could watch yeah. it again, because it's so like it's two and a half minutes, and it's like I, I might even just play it at the end of this episode because it's just so fucking, <laughs> it's so over the top, and it's just because Sarah Silverman like sells it so much, and she she kills it. It's so funny. Um, cool man, yo, thanks for hanging out with me on this uh, Friday night. You know, quarantine, dude. Of course, man. This is uh, you know, I, this is a little bit different than what my Friday nights are used to but I'll, I'll take them for now you and me both man trust me <laughs> I, this this whole sitting at home thing sucks but whatever yeah well we're lucky that we have sick people like you that are still putting out awesome shows like this so thank you so much for having me man it was, it was so awesome to get here I'm sorry for babbling I'm not used to people no, wanting to hear what I have to say no no that that's it like I mean people you know people hear what I have to say all the time so the fact that you you, know, <laughs> you get to really put a stamp on on this episode and you know talk about rust and gold and a lot of the other stuff so thank you so much for doing it man hell yeah brother i'll see you soon man i will see you soon frank thanks dude Hey, what's going on, Parker? 
Hey, man. How are you? <laughs> you know, just hanging, hanging. Um, welcome to whatever Red River this is going to be. Um, you know, I know that you're you you were attending to your son Grant. Grant. Yeah, Clark. yeah. Um, yeah so today was like all over the place. He like didn't get light, so like he was like cranky, and then like he didn't eat on time, and it's all over the place. How how interesting is it to basically having to um um deal with someone who is a child and uh you can't rational you can't you can't have a rational conversation with so it's you have to make them as comfortable as possible um yeah do you do like the the, the do you put an orange in your mouth like the godfather and dance around <laughs> i mean uh i mean right now he's starting to like teeth so just it, it's it's brutal i mean like it's only gonna get worse but like i feel horrible for the kid because he's just crying and like shoving like every object into his mouth to, like soothe himself <laughs> wow okay that's yeah cool. how's mom yeah doing? uh she's doing good i mean uh she actually started back to work friday you know um obviously like satellite wise she's not going into the city so that was uh that was just a change just you know going back since she's been out of work since like you know late december is when she had the kids so huh. must be nice must be nice to, yeah. to get back I, I, routines are great man it's just I, I like them. I wish, uh, I don't know, like, I, I guess eventually uh, May 15th or whatever that, that end date was, hopefully we could. I mean, obviously nothing's going to go away, but we're going to just live a little bit with these precautions uh, in yeah. place for like a few months, which, which is fine. I like the masks. Yeah. I mean, right now, like, I feel like, uh, I feel like the guy Desmond from Lost where like, I'm just like living in this hatch and it's just like literally every day. It's like the same shit over and over. You know, it's like, I wake up, I eat, yeah. I try and do like some sort of like physical activity. Like I hang out with the kid, then I feed the dog, then blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's, uh, yeah. I watched this movie recently called Viver Vivarium, uh, okay. with Jesse Eisenberg and, uh, Emojin Poots. And it's the same thing that they live in this house and they, they, um, you know, if you look up the word vivarium, it's like kind of like a controlled substance, uh, controlled area thing, like some type of like living aquarium type. I don't know. I forget the actual definition, but it's just this weird simulation that you kind of wake up and you do the same thing and, uh, you, you know, I guess you don't really get out much and, uh, yeah. You know, whatever. But uh, anyway, so um, I know that you were watching some um, A24 movies, which I thought was interesting considering that yeah. they are so polarizing. I've seen some A24 films that are complete garbage and then some that are, you know, amazing. But um, yeah. so let, let, let me just get this out of the way. A24 um, is a movie company. They They make movies. I know that you, you know, a lot of people when they watch certain films. They'll see that thing pop up, and it says here, uh, A24 is an American independent entertainment company founded August 20th of 2012 by Daniel Katz, David Finkel, and John Hodges. Uh, they're based out of New York. Um, I know that they got some some speed when they uh, uh, landed movies called Ex Machina. And another, yep. another one called Room, which was, I thought was super interesting. And later on, they did stuff like The Witch, which I think is the worst movie of all time. And <laughs> I still got to watch that one. <laughs> just recently, my favorite movie of last year, Uncut Gems. Uh, so, yeah, so good that, one. That is A24 in a nutshell. Um, I know that you watched a whole bunch of them, so I thought it'd be interesting to just hear you talk about them. 
Yeah, well, it's funny because, you know, I went I went onto the website and started looking at the back catalog. And, uh, you know, so I checked out a couple of the movies and I was just like, holy shit, I've actually seen like a couple of these movies without even knowing that they were a 24 movies. So the ones that I had watched without even knowing that I was watching this company was was Tusk, uh, a Florida project, Slice, Skin, Good Time and Mississippi Grind. So those were the ones that I had watched without even knowing anything about this company and anything. But then I decided to take like a deep dive into this company. And then anybody that listened to like the previous call in, I had watched I probably like five or six in that. And I know that you wanted me to you know talk about like 10 of these ones. So these are 10 new ones that I actually watched. And I kind of categorize these. And that's fun. Before we get there, what, like I'm going to pick one out of the ones that you just mentioned because it, it was pretty polarizing, but I, I enjoyed it uh, because it was so absurd i saw it in the movie theaters it's called tusk what did you yeah, think great of movie I, I loved it i mean uh i definitely it definitely played with your emotions i mean i definitely kind of felt like bad and depressed for the guy at the end but uh it, it definitely like pulled like your heartstrings i felt yeah it's uh you know i if you told me that you hated it i i would understand um but the people that enjoyed it it was just so fucking like it was just a really absurd movie, body horror, and uh, man, like it, it, the, I think it was formed from just kind of um, the Kevin Smith podcast, and, the, and they took it from there. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. But uh, okay, yeah, go go on with your discussion. Okay, so uh, number ten, I think I had just watched this. This was the recent one, and this was from 2016. And it was by the uh, the same guy that directed The Strangers, and this one was called The Monster. Really? What, The First Strangers? Yeah. The First Strangers he did, yeah. Okay. Um, and did you see that one or not, The Monster? Is that the one with the, the, the mom and kid and they're in the car? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It, I, I thought that it was very, uh, very Cujo-like. You know, you're trapped in the car. Um, but then, you know, that with the title, the monster, you know, they obviously start showing flashbacks of the family and, you know, the mother's got, you know, the drinking problem and the drug addiction. I mean, there is an actual monster in the movie, but then you kind of start thinking to yourself, like, is it about like the real monster or is it the mother? Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know? that's currently, where's that? I think that's up on like, uh, Netflix too, right? Yeah, the majority of these ones that I'm finding is either on Prime or Netflix. Those are the two uh, streaming companies that have the most A24 movies. Cool, cool. All right. So, you, so yeah. you, you enjoyed The Monster? I did. I did. Me too. I thought it was uh, very underappreciated. I think uh, yeah. eventually people will, you know, once once the world hears this episode, they're going to check out The Monster. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so now number nine, I remember a few years ago, I did start it and just, I don't know what the hell happened. Just, I lost track of it or whatever, but then I went back after I found out, you know, that it was an A24. So this was from, uh, 2017. And the main reason why I like this was, uh, one of the actors, this guy, Joel Egerton, who's in, uh, this movie, the gift he's in this movie, the warrior. And, uh, this movie's called, it comes at night. Hmm. Okay, that was very polarizing. That was, um, yeah. I know, you know, the people who went to go see it in the theaters, of course, they um, basically had their their say of it. Um, I actually started watching it, and I never finished it, but what I watched, I, I probably got like 20, 30 minutes in that. I don't really, you know, life happens, and you just don't go back to something. Um, 
I was liking what I was watching. So what did you think? Yeah. I, I I mean, you definitely have to finish it because the last probably five to seven minutes are just, I think it makes the movie. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, uh, you, watching this movie now, it, it's, I feel like it's the perfect movie for right now because it's, I hate to say it, it's about like a virus. It's about supplies. You know, they're wearing masks and gloves in every scene. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that, uh, I'm, I'm stocking up on those because, uh, you know, yeah. obviously very relatable. Although yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I, I'm not minding the mask. I like, I like wearing it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you, you do what you have to do. I mean, like, it's crazy because, I mean, the last time, you know, we started doing the home deliveries for the, for the food shopping and stuff like that, just so I don't have to leave the house. But the last time that I was out, it was probably about two weeks ago, and it was getting so bad that literally when I was food shopping, the local fire department shut down the supermarket because people weren't keeping their distance. People were like on top of each other, not wearing masks, touching each other, and somebody made a phone call, and they shut it down. Amazing. I, I don't know what it is about like uh, – it seems like – you know, like. I'm sure they were all adults in that fucking supermarket. Yeah. Why why couldn't you just follow the rules? It's not like yeah. we, it's not like we want to do this, you know? So it's just no. if that's what it is, just fucking do it and, you know. But uh yeah. what do you got number 8? Uh number 8 was the same year 2017 again and uh this one was fucking crazy. So this was called A Prayer Before Dawn. Oh, let me look that up cuz that that sounds familiar. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about and, it. And uh, so it's about uh, this boxer and he gets locked up in a uh, in a prison in Thailand and uh, just pretty much has to fight to survive. He has to fight, you know, local uh, local fighters just to, just so they pretty much don't beat the shit out of him because it's all these Thailand guys against him. And, uh, you know, a lot of them have AIDS. So there's one scene where actually one of them takes a vial of blood and uh, threatens to, like, you know, insert it into his vein. If he doesn't fight, it's it's fucking crazy. So, you know, that's a true story, actually. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It says uh, I'm, I'm looking it up now. I guess it's. Uh, yeah. True story of this guy. Hold on. Let me fucking. Of course, it blanks out on me but uh yeah it says it's a true story uh well you know based on it so uh remarkable yeah. true story of billy moore a young english boxer incarcerated uh so that's pretty interesting yeah so that was uh that was just fucking crazy just you know everybody's sleeping on floors and it's fucking crazy must be nice if, if, if you um you know know how to fight and you end up going to jail i mean and you like doing that i would imagine it's hey it's one of those things that, um, you know, if if you wanted to fight, I would imagine that's a great place to do it. So it's uh, <laughs> every day you could test your skills out. Yeah. So, okay, yeah, Prayer Before Dawn, 2018. Cool. What else? Yeah. So then uh, 2017, this was, uh, I know, one of your favorites, uh, Lady Bird. It was. I, yeah. I, I really liked it. Um, but yeah, so I, I went into that not really knowing anything and I thought it was going to be like a little artsy and stuff like that, but it was pretty straightforward and I loved it. You know, what I really liked about it and what I mentioned when I added on, on our list in 2018 was just, um, I don't know. I just identified with this girl who was just, you know, trying everything to just leave her town and like, she was just so rebellious and wanted to, um, you know, just constantly not conform and, and, and fight. And, uh, yeah. you know, her, her journey throughout this movie and, you know, her relationship with her mom, 
I don't know. Very good movie. She, I, I could she see was it. awesome, by the way. Lori, uh, mm-hmm. I thought Lori Metcalf was great in that. Yeah, she killed. You know, when you think yeah. of when you think of that cast of Roseanne, and uh, she's done a lot of cool stuff, and and I think she got recognized for this. I'm not exact. Maybe she was like Oscar nominated for it. Um, um, but I, I feel like Greta Gerwig, who wrote the movie and directed it, got the same. Uh, but yeah, definitely great, great movie, and. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if eighth grade is on that list, but uh, it's uh... that was actually on the original one that I did. Okay, so it's not on this one. No, no, but eighth eighth grade I loved. Yeah, it was a good companion piece. You know, I it's but it, it's interesting because you know we're grown men watching um, the life of this young girl, and uh, it's still super relatable. But yeah, okay, cool. Oh you, yeah, you didn't throw it on. So what what's after Ladybird? Okay. Uh, so after Lady Bird, uh, so I thought that this one was going to be kind of like a chick flick, but it, it was pretty funny. So this was from 2018. It was called Never Going Back. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah. And it was about uh, it's pretty much about two two roommates, two friends that live together. They're both uh, they both dropped out of high school. They're both waitresses. And uh, one of them is going to be turning uh, 17. And she was talking about how shitty her 16th birthday was. So uh, her roommate actually wants to take the rent money and take her on vacation, take her to a beach. And uh, just everything kind of goes wrong. You know, I I don't want to get too much into the movie, but uh, I thought it was going to be like a supreme chick flick. But I was actually laughing through the majority of the movie. Okay, (laughs) what's it called again? It's called Never Going Back. Interesting. I don't even see yeah. it on my list here, but okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then number five was from 2014, and that was, I don't even want to attempt to pronounce it. It was the X, whatever the movie, uh, the word is. Machina? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. And uh, that was wild, man. I mean, uh, that guy, uh, Oscar Isaac, the the actor who's actually in another one movie that I'm going to be talking about soon. I thought that he was amazing in it. I mean, uh, I thought same thing. I thought it was just going to be a stupid like sci-fi robot movie. But this thing really definitely took you and just uh, held you for the entire time of the movie. And I thought that the ending was great. Yeah, this was really, really good. This was around the time that, you know, like I mentioned, uh, I guess maybe I started paying attention to uh, the the movies this company puts out because, you know, so much stuff gets released. Uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a label back in the day. You know, you you, yep. you you pay attention to what that label puts out and you're like, OK, Sub Pop. OK, Matador. Uh, same thing. Once once I saw A24 was attached to it. Um, I would definitely check it out, especially back then. And Ex Machina was really, really fucking good, man. Yeah, and I saw I saw that the director did uh, Annihilation, which was another like you know visually stunning movie. You know, um, yeah. Also, it it has the writer. I think so. Alex Garland. Um, I forgot what he has to do with this movie, but he wrote Twenty Eight Days Later and uh, the movie. Oh, great movie! The movie Sunshine, which is really underrated. Did you ever hear of Sunshine? No, that one I never heard of. It's kind of like a weird sci-fi slasher in uh, in in space with um oh, that dude Cillian, cool. Cillian Murphy, and it's okay, man. It's it's really interesting. You should look that movie up because it's uh it's uh. It's just strange and and really cool, and I don't think a lot of people talk about it. But okay, cool. Yeah, awesome. Ex Machina, number five. What do you got at number four? 
So number four is, uh, I think that this is my oldest one on the list. This is actually from 2013. And uh, the lead is one of my favorite actors. But then like when I saw that it literally takes place in a car, the entire movie, I'm just like, holy shit. Like first thing I thought about was like phone booth with Colin Farrell. I'm just like, holy fuck, is this going to be boring? And the guy's just like trapped in the car or whatever. But uh, it was Tom Hardy who stars in it. It's called Locke. And I mean, I'm a huge Tom Hardy fan. So I loved it. Yeah, um, I never saw this one. So um, give me a rundown of it. So so like I said, it t- he takes place, you know, in a car ride and pretty much this guy's life just I don't want to say flashes before his eyes, but kind of gets destroyed on a car ride. So it starts, you know, he leaves work. And then, you know, he gets a phone call how like deliveries are missing and they're showing up, you know, late. He winds up getting fired from his job. He winds up uh, he was cheating on his wife. The girlfriend calls him. She's pregnant. She's having the baby tonight. Oh, man. he calls he calls the actual wife and confesses <laughs> to her. It's just like it's a shit show and it all takes place in a car ride. OK, wow. that That's interesting. I love stuff like, yeah, that, you know, uh, yeah. because when you do. Uh, I'm glad you finally saw Harpoon. Yes. How good was that? That w- that was great because I love movies that a I don't know any of the actors and uh, I-, I had a blast at that movie. I thought that it was so fun. I love the ending. Okay, so uh, let's detour for a moment here because my my buddy uh, you know Rob G sent me a whole bunch of screeners from the company he was working for at the moment. And uh, that was one of them. And when I watched it, I couldn't talk about it because he was like, oh, he's like, uh, you have to wait till next year or whatever, whenever it was. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. I'm like, this movie is so fucking good. And it, it's kind of just one setting. It's three. Yeah. It's three actors. And then you're basically on the boat. And uh, just like, you know, you mentioned this movie Locke, where it's it's uh it's interesting when you have really one main setting because at that point, if the movie's great, it's because the writing is great and the performance is great and, and it connects. And uh, Harpoon is, is one of those movies, man. You just like – by the end, you're like, son of a bitch. You're like, this is Yeah, good. like when I when that, when that popped up on Showtime, I hit like play like right off the bat. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because Showtime's free now and, and they're streaming that. So I'm glad yeah. that movie's kind of finding an audience. So uh, Yeah, me too. Number three of your A24 list. So number three, I think one of our friends from a past episode, uh, Ralph, actually worked on this movie. So I guess he might have done some makeup or something. And uh, this was called Low Tide. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so this was this was another friendship movie. It's about uh, four friends and they wind up uh, finding some very uh, valuable coins in like the uh, in the woods. And just like, you know, typical movie, just, you know, there's double cross and triple cross. And then they start cashing in some money. And what is it worth? Who can we trust? Yada, yada, yada. But two out of the four guys is actually uh, a big brother and a little brother. Okay. And then, yeah. And then they have to, uh, they have to take sides. Do they go with the money? Do they help each other out? Okay. I like stuff like that. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Yeah. I had no idea that who, who, how'd you find out that he worked on it? Cause I, 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 it's funny because I, I went, I remember him posting something about it and then I actually went onto his IMDB and they do have him listed working on that. Okay. Okay. Um, you said high life or low life? 
uh, low tide it's called low tide low tide, tide. yeah um i know that he also posted that he worked you know uh anyway we had ralph on a few episodes ago ralph lambiazzi um he also worked on hunters um, oh yes that i saw too yeah 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 so he was doing i guess like the tattoos on um on al pacino um so good for him man good for him yeah to, you know, getting out there yeah yeah so uh what do you have for number two so number two, funny enough, I was watching something and I posted about it. And uh, funny enough, Tommy Corrigan started talking to me about A24 and he asked me if I had seen a most violent year. Oh, man. And I never had. Did he? Never re- had. Did he really? Yeah. He was asking me if I liked it. So I said, all right. I said, I'll check it out. And I loved it. Okay. Let, let, let's stop here for a second. So um, <laughs> that's funny you mentioned this movie. I love Oscar Isaac. I, I uh, yeah, I think he's a really great actor. Uh, he's he does a lot of cool work. Um, years ago, I think we were living in Patchogue, and uh, this movie had come out, and I was like, I really need to see this movie. Um, it looks great, and you know, A twenty four was attached to it. He was attached to it, and the name of the year just seemed <laughs> the name of the movie just seemed like something I would want to see. Uh, I watched it and I got to tell you, I thought it was one of the most boring movies I've ever seen. So tell me what it is that you liked about it. Uh, the thing is I went into it, you know, just, just from the, the name and the, uh, and the cover, I thought that it was going to be like a gangster movie. Me too. And, and I, I kind of liked that it wasn't. <laughs> Okay. Cause yeah. like every, every time that I thought, you know, cause, the, cause the wife, I mean, I don't know how well you remember the movie at all, but his, uh, the woman that plays his wife in the movie, I think her father was like a mobster or something, because every time he was getting hard up for money, she was saying, you know, I'll give my dad a call and blah, blah, blah. And he never wanted to, uh, he never wanted to get the help. He was always saying, you know, I'll take out a loan from like my brother or the bank or something like that. And uh, I thought that the ending was great. I don't know if you really remember the ending at all when that I, one employee shows back up at the end. Yes, I remember all that stuff, you know, uh, you know, but it had to do with uh, fuel, if I remember. Correctly. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, you watched it and you liked it. I, I watched it and I, I, <laughs> I just, yeah, you, what, what, the surprise for me worked for you. But man, yeah. when when I was like, "Where's all the killing and violence?" and I got none of it, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay, cool, interesting. He told you to watch it too. I I I guess it connected with people because it it was very much a critic movie. They they loved it. Yeah, I I didn't understand why, but okay, cool. So a twenty four, your number one. Yeah. So number one, uh, this was actually called the Rover, and it was from two thousand fourteen. And this was Robert Pattinson and Guy Pierce, and I thought Robert Pattinson was amazing in this movie. Oh, I don't. Is that a space movie? It's not space, but it's like an apocalyptic movie where you know it's not as crazy as like a Mad Max or a Road Warrior, but you definitely got to go out. You got to find like fuel. You got to find food, water, supplies, stuff like that. Okay, that's kind of what I remember. So good for Pattinson doing his thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's in. It's crazy because I never realized that I think he's in like four or five A twenty four movies now. Yeah, because there's a, I they probably have a, a total of like eighty five, ninety movies, and uh, yeah, man, he's he's done a lot of cool stuff. You know, I I was not a big, um, you know, obviously the aud- I wasn't the audience for that Twilight stuff, so you know he wasn't catering to me. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. But um, 
the stuff that he's done after, you know, just uh, like good time for sure. Like the good, good. Oh, absolutely. Good time blew me away. Just, just the way that, um, you know, when Mark Wahlberg transitioned and he was in the movie fear um, yeah. and boogie nights, I'm like, Oh shit. I'm like, this dude is actually like, okay. Like he's actually <laughs> like, I'm going to have to look out for him. You know, same thing with like an, yep. El- an Elijah Wood. you know, these are people who um, find these roles that they're very passionate about and they're um, sure they'll do an occasional big movie, but like they're super passionate about like these like really cool stories. And I think Pattinson is definitely one of those. So, yeah. Um, What are some uh, give me like three movies, three, eight, 24 movies that you didn't get a chance to watch, but you want to watch. Uh, I know the next two that are on my list was a ghost story and how to talk to girls at parties. Okay, yeah, that that's interesting. I'd like to see that as well. Um, I know, yeah. I know, Malamo. You know, Mr. Mike Malamo is a big fan yep. uh, of a ghost story. Okay, and uh, he wanted me to check it out. I think it's like ninety minutes, super easy, up on Netflix at the moment. So. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one that I watched that was I was not a fan of was uh, the Bling Ring. Oh yeah, okay. That is um. So that's a real story, if I remember. Yeah, that that's what that's kind of why I watched it. It was a true story, and the fact that like Francis Ford Coppola was like a co-producer, I was like, oh, I'll check it out. Well, yeah, it's his his directed by his daughter. Exactly. Um, who does great stuff, and uh, but I remember it's like uh, it's like these kids that would rob like rich actors or something yeah celebrities yep yeah okay that's what it was and and i know maybe there was like an asian girl who is the head of the ring because i know um yep. you know if you watch like uh, enough of american greed or, or one of those like you know date lines and shit like that like um they mentioned the bling ring yeah cool all right man well i'm glad that you're doing this deep dive on such an artsy label uh, yeah, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do after this. You know, maybe uh, I'll be maybe I'll be back at work by then. Yeah, God, I hope so. <laughs> I fucking <laughs> I fucking hope so. I hope everything. Uh, I hope everything inches back uh, slowly. I hope we get to go back to band practice. I hope we get to yeah. make some music. Um, you know, get to hang out, have pizza Friday over there. There you go. That's uh, it. Uh, and that's it, man. Anything else you want to add? Um, I did catch a couple episodes on Shudder for that uh, that cursed film series. Oh my god, let's talk about that. What? Yeah, that was pretty you, cool. So, did you? Wh- wh- all right, there's five of them. So, wh- which ones did you see? I did Poltergeist, The Crow, and The Twilight Zone. Okay, so why'd you pick those? Because out of the five, those are the only three good ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like The Crow, I love. I know, like a lot of people shit on that movie. But like I've always been a fan of that movie. Uh, Twilight Zone, funny enough, is one of, if not the first movie I remember seeing in the movie theater when I was a little kid. So I had to watch that. And then Poltergeist still fucking scares the shit out of me, like to this day, the original. So what did you think? Uh, let's start with Twilight Zone. I had no idea. I had no idea. I don't know why I didn't know Vic Morrow. Like I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know that his daughter is Jennifer Jason Leigh. Um, yeah. So I'm watching this and I had no idea that I was about to watch an actual death. It was, yeah. He, I mean, he was losing it like during those interviews, you know, did you, did you know that he died on this film? I had no idea. I had no clue. No, I had no clue. So you watched that footage for the first time and I was like, Oh, that's weird. I'm like, how did they survive that? And then you realize like, 
But yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I, I mean, the I mean, the crow, obviously the crow episode, I knew going into that, you know, the whole story of how, you know, they thought there was a blank in the gun and yada, yada. Yeah. Well, that one, of course, I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't believe that they showed the footage of, you know, the, the three deaths. You know, I, I wasn't waiting for it. The crow I knew. And uh, that's that's fucked up, too. And, and uh, obviously, Poltergeist, same thing. It's just like you see this girl and then the, that medical con- condition and then it's a misdiagnosis. Um, yeah, man, really strong. The Exorcist episode was OK. The Omen episode was OK. But those last three are really um, definitely horrific uh, because of like just those situations are really tough to, to to basically think of and watch, especially like Brandon Lee, like just beginning, you know, rapid fire and fucking yeah. showdown in little Tokyo, uh, the son of Bruce Lee. And and then he gets fucking killed on the, the yeah. weird, the weirdest like overlook mishap, you know, but I, you know, for shutter, I love shutter, man. That, that five bucks a month goes a long way for me. That's it. That's it. <laughs> big fan but uh okay cool um i guess you know we'll talk about something else sometime soon um sweet we'll, we'll touch base you know if you think of anything we'll we'll throw it on the pile and now awesome i'm gonna i'm gonna go call up langan now nice all right later parker all right man stay safe all right bye okay bye